Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we are going to look at the first Sunday in Lent. The first Sunday in Lent from the Daily Lectionary. Now, how did we get here? Well, we started last year with Advent. And in Advent, we are looking for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And that's four weeks. Jesus comes on Christmas Day, December 25th. And we celebrate Christmas. After Christmas, we have the season of Epiphany, where we celebrate Jesus's appearing, his epiphanos, the Greek word, which means appearing. And he's going to show himself to us. He's going to share himself with us. He's going to begin his ministry. He's going to be baptized. He's going to be sent out. He is going to share the gospel. And last week, we looked at the last Sunday after the Epiphany, where we looked at the transfiguration of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, so that no matter what he goes through, and as you know, death and resurrection, but he dies, he's buried, he, everything is going to be fine. And of course, we know on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead. But he shows himself in the transfiguration on the mount, joined by Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah from the past, Old Testament past, joined them also. Now, in the middle of that week, we have Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday kicks off the Lenten season, the Lenten season. And there are five Sundays in Lent, followed by Holy Week, which culminates with the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday. So we have just celebrated Ash Wednesday and we have prepared ourselves for the season of Lent by receiving ashes, going to church, beginning to pray about how we're going to spend our Lent. So I hope that you are uh, doing that. I hope that you have a discipline for reading. Uh, obviously, I strongly suggest that I'm uh, the daily lectionary and reading these scriptures on a daily basis. And I'm glad uh, that you are doing that. You can see uh, in this post, we have the scriptures laid out for you by day, beginning with Sunday and ending on Saturday. And we will post them to you on a Saturday so you can prepare yourself for the beginning of the next week. Now, in this week of First Lent, we have three different scriptures again. We are not doing the Psalms. We have an Old Testament lesson, and that is from Genesis 37 to Genesis 41. We're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. In the New Testament lessons, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 1 through 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul's letter to those living in Corinth. And then finally, we're going to start a new series on the gospel of Mark. We have been in the Gospel of John for some length of time, and now we're going to be turning to Mark. And we'll start with chapter 1, verse 1, through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. For those of you that are new to the Daily Lectionary, I'm going to give you a brief overview. Again, you see the scriptures on your post. Write them down or refer to them. Read them. Think about them. Pray about them. Some of you may want to do a little bit more work on them. You perhaps might have a commentary. You may have a study Bible, and at the bottom of the study Bible are notes about the text. 
or you may just read them. Just let them sink into your soul. Some of you may be people that have not read the Bible before, and I'm just walking through and encouraging you to read the scriptures and to think about the scriptures and pray about the scriptures. See what the Holy Spirit will say to you. Okay, let's begin with Genesis 37. Now, we have gone through uh, creation, Adam and Eve, Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons was Joseph. And in chapters 37 to 50 in Genesis, we see the story of Joseph. He is an extraordinary character. If you've never read Genesis 37 to 50, you're in for a great treat. And today we'll look at 37 to 41. I'll give you a quick overview. Look at verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved, this is Isaac, Israel loved, his name was changed from Israel to, uh, from uh, Isaac to Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in an old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Now watch the next verse, verse four. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to them. And then Joseph has a dream in verse five. So there's a very bad blood between Joseph and his brothers. And as you read through chapter 37, we see that Joseph is sold by his brothers. We see that in verse 22, they throw him into a cistern. They stripped him of his robe in verse 23. They took him and they threw him into the cistern in 24. Some Midianite merchants came by. They pulled him out of the cistern in 28 and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Can you believe that? They hated him so much that they wouldn't throw him in a cistern, which he would have died. They pulled him out of the cistern and sold. And that group of people took him to Egypt. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to a man named Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So what happened is the Midianites got money for Joseph, probably more than they gave, to receive him. And Joseph gets sold to a very high-ranking person in the Egyptian class. The Pharaoh is obviously the highest. And we have a story in verse 38 about Judah and Tamar. It's a very interesting story and kind of a, a story that doesn't really have anything particularly to do with Joseph directly, but it's a very important story that you might want to look at. It's not part of the lectionary reading, but you might want to look at it. The reason it's not there in 38 is it's very different, but it is an interesting story. In chapter 39, we have a situation where Potiphar's wife makes advances to Joseph. Joseph does not relent, does not give in, 
and does not obey her, does not submit to her. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse 9, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, look what happened in verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Well, she wasn't going to be, she wasn't going to be left a fool. So what happened, as you will read, is that Joseph gets thrown in prison because Potiphar's wife accuses him. And Potiphar could have killed him, but by the mercy and grace of God, it says in verse 21, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Read chapter 40 and 41. Wonderful stories about Joseph in prison and about Pharaoh's dreams. And what happens with Pharaoh's dreams is that Joseph is going to be used to interpret the dreams and is going to do something quite extraordinary for the Pharaoh as a result of his dreams. It goes through uh, verse 13 of chapter 41. Rather than read it to you or tell you everything that goes on, I think you will love the stories in chapter 40 and in chapter 41. Joseph is an extraordinary character. He's faithful to the Lord. He loves God. The Lord is using him mightily, but he's kind of like a Job figure. Like, why am I in prison? Why am I being treated unjustly? Why did I get thrown into a cistern? Why did they sell me? Why isn't God rescuing me? Why isn't God saving me? These are just wonderful uh, questions that a lot of us ask in our daily living. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? I didn't do anything wrong. What is God after me? Is God, is God going to rescue me? Is he real? Is he going to save me? I love reading about Joseph because it helps to deal with some of those questions. I hope you enjoyed. In Paul's letter to Corinth, Paul's letter to Corinth is very important because what Paul is doing after Romans, 1 Corinthians is after Romans, which is after the Gospels. What Paul is doing with the Corinthians is he's dealing with them, he's ministered to them, He's visited them, and he's answering questions and concerns that they have. Beautiful, beautiful theology. Let me just read a few things. They had a lot of spiritual gifts. We see that in chapter 1, verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. The faithfulness of God, the calling of God, the blessing of God, beautiful scripture. And then he talks about working together and not having any divisions. They had a lot of gifts, what we call charismatic gifts, but they couldn't get along very well. So Paul really appeals to them to have a relationship with God in Christ, where not only do you have a relationship yourself, you have a relationship with one another in Christ, and you're acting in an honorable and a godly way. Verse 18, chapter 1. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In chapter 2, he talks about the wisdom from the Holy Spirit and how important the Holy Spirit is. Now, this is a big theme for me, and it's a big theme in the, in the, in the New Testament, particularly with Paul. The importance of the Holy Spirit, I'm thinking of Galatians 5 and Romans 8, the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 13 of chapter 2, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. I have no desire to speak to you today from my own human skill and ability. What we all need is to be led and taught by the Holy Spirit. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, verse 14, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then he says at the end of that chapter, we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Use that mind in such a way as to glorify the Lord and be led by the Spirit to do his will. You'll love chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 3, he's another great scripture. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, series of scriptures, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each should be careful how he builds. Watch how you conduct your life on a daily basis. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation in your life and my life should be Christ. Then you want to lay that foundation very well. The foundation's Christ. Then we want to build on that foundation. This is why your reading of the scriptures is so important. You want to lay your foundation in Christ, your relationship with Christ, your love for Christ, your faith in Christ, your following Christ, your listening to Christ, as we see it in the Transfiguration where God speaks from the cloud, listen to me. You want to build upon that, okay? So please read this scripture, uh, this, this chapter, these series of scriptures uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, a beautiful distribution of learning and uh, Paul speaking the word of the Lord, sharing with the Corinthians his knowledge and his understanding of the, of the scriptures and his understanding of God and Christ. We pass that on to us. We read the scriptures. We pray. We listen. Again, those of you that like studying, you can go into that avenue, arena, if you want to also. In chapter 4, we have verses 1 through 7. Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. Verse 1, Paul is a servant of Christ. He's entrusted with the things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. He says, my conscience is clear in verse 4, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So Paul's bar is very, very high. He's a servant of Christ. He's entrusted with the secret things of God. That's a very, very significant point. He needs to be trusted. He needs to be faithful. If he's not faithful, he can't be trusted. If he can't be trusted, no one's going to listen to him. If no one listens to him, the message is worthless because nobody wants to hear it. Nobody's going to believe it. But he said, my conscience is clear. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. 
that time, each will receive his praise from God, verse 5. So I'm going to share with you the words of God, Paul is saying. You read them. You think about them. My conscience is clear. I've done what I'm supposed to do. So I'm offering, I am offering, Father Reed, offering my time to share with, these, the, with you these scriptures and a few insights and encouraging you to read the scriptures. And as you do so, you're going to gain knowledge. You're going to gain insight. You're going to gain wisdom. You're going to build on that foundation. You're going to grow in your faith. Let's look at Mark's gospel. So you see what's going on here. We've got a series of scriptures in the Old Testament. We've got a series of scriptures in the New Testament after the gospels. And then we've got a series of scriptures in the gospels. It's a beautiful way to read your Bible every day. Well, we start out in Mark's gospel, chapters one through three, six. Mark, we think is the earliest gospel and he is going to demonstrate and show us that Jesus is the Messiah and he's for real. And he's this extraordinary person that has this amazing ministry. Now, Mark does not have a prologue like John does in chapter one, one to 18. He doesn't have an infancy narrative like Matthew and Luke. He starts off right from the beginning with the words from the prophet Isaiah regarding John the Baptist. Then he has a couple of lines in chapter one about John the Baptist. And then he goes right into the baptism of Jesus and then the temptation of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. All of a sudden, Jesus is 30 years old. All of a sudden, John the Baptist is 30 years old, six months older than Jesus, by the way, his cousin. And so he skips his first 30 years and goes right to the beginning of his ministry and how it started. Then we go boom, 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 one thing after another, fairly quickly, rapid succession. We have the calling of the first disciples. We have Jesus beginning to work miracles when he drives out a holy, the evil spirit. He drives out a spirit, rebukes a spirit. Then he begins to heal. He wouldn't let demons speak in verse 34 because they knew who he was. He has tremendous power. He goes and prays in verse 35, hence the importance of prayer for all of us. He heals a man with leprosy. First chapter, casting out devils, healing people, tempted by the devil in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, baptized by his cousin, John, calls the first disciples and heals the leper. In chapter two, he heals a paralytic. Read that beautiful story. He calls Levi, who's Matthew, just calls him and Matthew follows him just like the early disciples did. Then he has a question of, about fasting and, and being Lord of the Sabbath. Now, there's also a very important teaching component. If you remember or know of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you have the Sermon on the Mount, extensive teaching. You have teaching in Mark also. You have confrontation with Mark, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. In John's gospel, that's done very differently where there's an extended dialogue between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Mark's gospel, it's much shorter. In chapter three, through verse six, he heals a man in the synagogue with a shriveled hand. And he says to the Pharisees, which is lawful to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. 
the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Verse 6. He just started. He's got about a three-year ministry, and they're looking how they're going to kill him because they didn't like what he was doing. The most powerful person that's ever lived on the planet is doing amazing things. So if you can keep together in your piety and your daily readings what God is doing with Joseph, what God is telling the Corinthian church, and how that applies to us, and the beginnings of the works of Jesus in Mark's gospel. It's a beautiful thing. And I hope you'll enjoy your week and also be praying for a holy Lent. We pray for a holy Lent, that God would bless you abundantly. And that as you go through this journey, or we go through this journey together till we get to Holy Week, that God would abundantly bless you and keep you. Next week, we'll be looking at the week of Second Lent. God bless you and have a wonderful week of reading and studying and praying.